The scientists that I trust most say that. This virus is not going to go away. It's almost certainly never going to be eradicated from the human population. It now exists also in some of our wildlife creatures, cats and dogs, lions and tigers in zoos, gorillas in zoos. This virus is going to be somewhere forever and probably in humans forever, and it's going to keep evolving. Welcome to Naturally Well, a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a Nordic twist. I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live Well with Kate. Today's guest is David Quammen. David is an American author and journalist whose 17 books include The Song of the Dodo, The Reluctant Mr. Darwin, and The Tangled Tree. His most recent book, Breathless, that came out in 2022, is a narrative of the scientific effort to trace the origins and evolution of the COVID-19 virus, SARS-CoV-2, and to combat the pandemic it caused. Kwaman's 2012 book, Spillover, had earlier explored the subject of novel pathogens, including viruses that spill over from wild animals and infect humans. He's a three-time recipient of the National Magazine Award and has received several awards for his books. He shares a home in Bozeman, Montana with his wife, Betsy Gaines Kwaman, author of the book American Zion, plus his three borzois, a cross-eyed cat, and a rescue python. In this episode, David explains how viruses like the coronavirus present themselves, what the likelihood is of another virus like COVID-19 presenting itself again, and how we can better prepare ourselves from a virus striking again and disrupting our society and health. We also discuss what we can do now to better protect our health from the multiplying variants of COVID-19. David, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you on. Um, I know we're talking about, which I I wish I could say that COVID-19 is not still a hot topic, Um, but I actually have two family members who currently have it right now. I'm sorry Um, to hear that. So I know. Thank you. So, you know, it's like, it's, it seems like it's never ending and I, I can't wait to pick your brain a little bit, but I'd love for you to start off with just telling our listeners a little bit more about your journey as a journalist and how you grew passionate, you know, to really follow some of these viruses and the science and their research um, and become such an expert in them. Well, I have been a journalist and an author of uh, nonfiction books for about 40 years now. Before that, I was a novelist, a fiction writer, but Uh, Science has been my journalistic beat for a long time, decades, as I say, about 40 years. And in particular, uh, ecology, evolutionary biology, and conservation. And I've written a lot about those subjects in various different forms for National Geographic and for other magazines. I've written books on evolution and extinction. and uh, a lot of work on theoretical ecology. And it was about 20 years ago that I was assigned by National Geographic to do a series of stories on a fellow who was walking across the Congo Basin forests to do a survey of the biological diversity there. Literally, he walked bushwhacked through the forest for 456 days. And I followed him for about 53 days total. And at one point, we walked through a forest in northeastern Gabon that was known Ebola virus habitat. 
there had been Ebola virus outbreaks on the edges of this forest block in in villages, one particular village on a river at the edge of this forest block that was famous in the scientific literature of emerging dangerous viruses. And so we knew as we walked through this forest that Ebola was there somewhere in the forest. Now, viruses are not cellular creatures. They can't replicate themselves unless they are infecting a cell of a cellular creature, an animal, a plant, a fungus, something that's composed of cells. Viruses are just genetic parasites. And so a virus has to live, a virus that infects humans has to live in another animal of some sort, and probably a mammal. So we knew Ebola was there in some mammal, in a bat or a monkey or a rodent or whatever, as we walked through this forest. And I got very interested in that and focused on that. It was kind of spooky. Uh, we were careful of what we did and what we ate. Uh, and in the course of reading background material to write those stories and precluding that segment, I realized that the mystery of new viruses, novel viruses coming seemingly out of nowhere and getting into humans is all about ecology and evolutionary biology. And at that point, I realized, okay, this is this is in my wheelhouse. Viruses do this too. Giant tortoises evolve. Chimpanzees have evolved. Viruses evolve. And viruses have an ecological situation. And if we disturb that ecological situation in a non-human animal, that virus can infect us. That's where new viruses came from. This was more than 20 years ago, but that's what began my long interest and professional um, involvement with scary viruses, new viruses. That's so fascinating. I mean, I still can't get over, David, how how long that he trekked in the forest and even for you over 50 days. Um, this was a fellow named Mike Fay. Oh, my goodness. And he walked in a pair of river sandals and shorts. <laughs> Of course, through, through the thickest parts of the Congo forest, uh, with a team of of Gabonese or one point Congolese men helping him, cutting a hole through the forest with a machete, walking across streams, through swamps, um, through the mud, and I followed him for four sections of that walk, amounting to about fifty three days. That's very impressive, and I'm curious if you can explain you know, for myself, but also our listeners, like kind of what you were just describing as like the evolution of a virus, or even like if we want to use, you know, COVID as a, a COVID-19 as an example, like how, how and where does it start and how do these new viruses come about? Right, right. Well, the world is filled with viruses. It's a universe of viruses, planet Earth. Every species of animal, plant, fungus, bacteria has its own viruses. There's this incredible diversity of viruses. Some of those viruses are capable of fast evolution, meaning that they are capable of adapting to a new kind of host if they spill out of their, their accustomed host. Some of these viruses live in, a, in an animal, a kind of animal, for instance, uh, a bat or a rodent 
for thousands of years. And eventually they they reach an accommodation, an evolutionary accommodation, where they're not killing off large numbers of that animal. They become um, they become passengers that don't cause a lot of trouble. And the animal that they live in is called the reservoir host then. That's their secret hideaway. That's the place where they live inconspicuously without causing much damage, without causing much harm. Their reservoir host. But some viruses, including those that are capable of fast adaptation, such as coronaviruses, sometimes spill from the reservoir host and are, uh, expose themselves to a new kind of host. And if they can infect that host, the new kind of host, then they have a new place to live. They've colonized new habitat. And if they can transmit from one individual of that new host to another, then they have a whole new horizon of evolutionary success. And if the new host is humans, of which there are 8 billion on this planet, closely interconnected, then that virus that has spilled over by accident and discovered that it can infect humans and transmit among humans has suddenly won the sweepstakes and it can become one of the most successful viruses on the planet, which is what this virus, this coronavirus, known as SARS-CoV-2, has done. So would that be, just to clarify, would that be, David, like if, let's say, the reservoir host was a rodent, right, a rat, and they then bit a human and were able to transmit it that way, would that be... That would be way one way. The virus moves from one kind of host into another, not because it's seeking out other hosts. Viruses don't have intentionality. They don't they don't want to infect people. They just they just follow what I call the Darwinian imperatives. Make a lot of copies of yourself, spread through space, extend mm-hmm. through time, and that's evolutionary success. So the, a virus gets into a new host, such as humans, because of opportunity, not because of seeking out uh, a new host. So if a rodent is carrying a virus, a rodent bites a human, that might be one way for the virus to transmit. For instance, rabies transmits mm-hmm. through through saliva and therefore on a bite. But other viruses transmit through the air or through liquids bodily fluids. So if a human caught a mouse and cut it open for some reason, the human might be exposed to the virus by mm-hmm. blood contact getting into a cut on the on the person's hand. Or if a chimpanzee is carrying a virus and a human kills that chimpanzee for food and butchers it and gets chimpanzee blood into a cut, it could infect the human, the chimpanzee virus. And that's what happened with HIV. That's how the AIDS pandemic began. Opportunity. Um, it could be some viruses travel in, in urine and feces. So if a rodent is carrying a virus and it urinates in an old shed, like the one I have behind my house, and um, the urine dries, but the urine has virus in it, and I go out there and start sweeping up and the dust is flying and I'm not wearing a mask. Bingo. I could be infected with hantavirus carried by the rodent. These are the various different kinds of opportunities that viruses um, 
benefit from to infect new kinds of hosts. Yeah, unfortunately, it seems fairly easy for them to do. Um, what about then, like, because now we know with coronavirus, like with these various different strains that have come about, right? So we mm-hmm. have like first strain, and it seems like it's like, okay, once we tackle one, another one's coming out. How how did those different strains evolve? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, this particular coronavirus um, uh, has a genome that's 30,000 letters long. You know, people talk about the letters of the DNA molecule that carry the genetic code or the letters of RNA, which is another kind of genetic coding information molecule. Um, This genome is 30,000 letters long. And there are two ways that this that that this virus can evolve. One is by incremental mutation. That means changing one letter by mistake, a copying error when when the virus replicates itself a copying error and one spot of those 30,000 letters and and producing one letter instead of a different letter the letters of the rna alphabet are a c g and u for reasons that we don't need to go into but those those represent molecules those those letters represent molecules that are the alphabet a single mutation out of 30,000 letters um, can possibly change the virus a little bit. But coronaviruses are also capable of switching whole sections, a thousand letters changing in an instant. And the way they do that is by recombining. If there are two viruses infecting the same person, the same cell in the same person, and they replicate, they can cross over and swap sections. So suddenly you have a hybrid virus, not virus A or virus B, but a virus that's a hybrid of A and B. It might have um, 20,000 letters from virus A and 10,000 letters from virus B, and you have a whole new virus with new possibilities. And if it happens to be better adapted to infecting humans, bingo, it will survive and it will start to spread around the world. Do you foresee in your professional opinion, because obviously more, you know, different strains have come about with with coronavirus, that these new strains are just going to keep popping up and it's going to be something we're just going to live with for a long time or yes. what? Or, yeah. In a word. Yes. yes. <laughs> Simple answer to that question, yeah. Kate. Yeah. That's exactly what I expect to happen. And I expect that because the scientists that I trust most say that this virus is not going to go away it's almost certainly never going to be eradicated from the human population it now exists also in some of our wildlife creatures not the reservoir host but creatures that have become infected from us mm-hmm. white-tailed deer in the american midwest mink on mink farms and also on the landscape in the netherlands and denmark um Cats and dogs, lions and tigers in zoos, gorillas in zoos. This virus is going to be somewhere forever and probably in humans forever. And it's going to keep evolving. Now we have a new subvariant of Omicron, of the variant Omicron. Yeah. And they're calling it XBB1.5, I believe. You know, um, we have so many subvariants now that 
the idea that we could give these things Greek names instead of these number and letter symbols has has gone away. We and so instead of talking about Omicron, we're now talking about XBB 1.5, which is spreading across the U.S. and is more infectious than regular Omicron, than the Omicron yeah. from which it evolved, and that's going just going to continue. And it's hard with the variants, too, because I found even with, you know, some of my family members who have had it, they didn't have that same cushion, if you will, you know, from when COVID first happened. If you got it, you were at least safe for like a few months. Mm -hmm. Now, with all these variants, if you pick up a different variant, within two months, you unfortunately can get it again, or at least that's what you know, I've seen just through family and it's, friends, which is alarming. Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. We don't know for sure. For instance, with this new this new subvariant, we don't know to what extent it can escape the immunity of people who have either already suffered a case of Omicron or had had the the bivalent booster vaccine. I mean, I had I had five vaccine shots, and then I got a case of COVID in September. Um, it wasn't a bad case, um, but it, it lingered for 19 days, um, uh, before I was testing negative permanently. Um, and, and now I don't know whether I'm protected against XBB 1.5, you know, it might be that I should start wearing a mask to the grocery store again. Uh, I dislike masks as much as anybody. I hope that's not true. But it is possible that this virus now has evolved to escape the immunity that I have from five vaccine shots plus a case of early Omicron. It can be easy to overlook your heart health, but we have to remember it's what keeps us ticking each day and it needs our support. One of the best and easiest ways to support your heart is by supplementing with CoQ10 which supplies energy to our cells with high energy requirements like the ones found in our heart, muscles, nerves, and liver. As we age, our body's production of CoQ10 declines, but the demand for it does not. And as an added bonus, CoQ10 is arguably the most powerful antioxidant, which can help your body fight off the daily oxidative stressors that come your way. Whether CoQ10 in a delicious strawberry gummy, mini soft gel, or paired with heart-healthy omega-3s appeals to you, Nordic Naturals has you covered to support your heart. Head to Nordic.com and use the code NaturallyWell20 for 20% off all Nordic Naturals CoQ10 products. And is there anything, David, you found from, you know, your discussions with like the plethora of scientists you've interviewed and I'm sure st have, still have ongoing conversations with? Is there anything we can do now? that's going to put us in a better place or whether it's better preparing ourselves from something like COVID striking again. But just, is there anything we can actively do? Well, yes, we need to do both those things. We need to deal with COVID much better than we are so far. And we need to make uh, preparations against the next one, because this is not going to be the last pandemic threat that we have. There's another virus, many other viruses out there that are 
also capable of causing human pandemics. And they will get opportunities. They will spill over into humans and maybe cause a few cases here and there. Um, but if we contain those outbreaks, we can stop the next one from turning into a disastrous pandemic that kills 6 million people. <clears throat> We're not doing what's necessary for that so far. Um, and we need to deal better with COVID. And that means getting people getting people vaccinated and continuing to update our vaccines. And to get people vaccinated, <clears throat> as you know, as well as I do, we have to do more than science and medical manufacturing. We have to do education. We have to do persuasion. We have to we have to persuade people to take these, to get these vaccines for their own sake, for the sake of their family, and for the sake of everybody around them. And how David, how would you respond to, you know, because I feel like the people I talk to that are skeptical about getting a vaccine, which everyone has, you know, their own opinion and own right, is then when they look around, they're like, well, you know, my friends and family members have gotten the vaccine, but they still get COVID. What's the point? How, what is the vaccine doing that's really helping prevent or at least lessen the likelihood of contracting some variant of COVID? What the vaccines clearly do, and the numbers are overwhelming on this, is prevent people not from getting a case of COVID, but from getting a severe case of COVID, from going to the hospital, from going on a ventilator, from dying. Are the vaccines effective against that? They absolutely are. I don't have the numbers at the tip of my fingers, but yeah, and I saw some just this morning, the infinitesimal percentage of the people who are now hospitalized with COVID have been fully vaccinated. Um, but as, as your family shows, and as my own personal story shows, you can get five do doses of the vaccine and still, and still get infected and test positive and have what feels like a pretty bad cold for two days. I'll take that. I would rather have a pretty good cold for two days and five vaccine shots than be in the hospital on a ventilator. Yeah, no, it's true. And I think that's where a lot of the misinformation is just when people are having their own conversations or is that people think a vaccine means you won't contract it. And then when they do, they're like, well, vaccines don't work. Or, yeah. you know, it's like yeah. versus that's, realizing that's, it's more about the severity Yes. of your illness, of the virus affecting that's you. That, that's that education. That's that informing mm -hmm. that, as I was saying, it's, you know, it's, it, it's something that you do, something that I do, something that science journalists generally are trying hard to do, um, to persuade people, uh, to acquaint themselves with the actual facts and the numbers and understand that these vaccines we have more than one and some of them are better than others but the ones that have been available in the US are really really effective they um they make an enormous difference in the likelihood that you will get badly sick and die yeah and is there anything we we're talking about also like better preparing ourselves as a society from something like COVID, right? Like another virus striking yeah. again. Is there anything we can do in that realm? Yes, we need to. Uh, we need to spend more money and more political capital, and more trust, and create national structures and international structures for um, pandemic preparedness. We need to take it seriously that there will be 
there will be another pandemic. I mean, I I published a book titled Spillover in 2012, and I predicted that there would be a pandemic and it could well be caused by a coronavirus in 2012. And I did that only because that's what the scientists were telling me. It was obvious. They knew that, that there would be a new viral pandemic and the virus would be something that came out of an animal, was new to humans, had a capacity for fast evolution, therefore very likely an influenza or a coronavirus. Likewise, we can predict that there will be another such challenge. We need to be more ready for it. The most surprising thing to me about the whole COVID-19 experience is not that there was a pandemic threat, but that we were so unprepared for it and we reacted so poorly, especially at the beginning. And then in some ways we reacted well. The vaccine development was a great scientific success. But other aspects of our pandemic response um, were, were very clumsy and inadequate and we need to be prepared to do much better. Yeah, and it definitely left, I think, the big thing too, and even just, it's the chaos of it all, right? It was the chaos yeah. for, you know, people and their families and it, I think everyone does have this little, you know, level of fear that is this going to happen again, you know, is and and what are we going to do about it? So, you know, yeah. I I couldn't agree more that, you know, being more prepared also with our own health as well and taking care of your own health and your own body, which I don't know, um, David, if you've done any research on that with or, you know, with some of the scientists you've worked with on just better taking care of your body and how that prepares you. Um, but it definitely is on everyone's mind still. It It is, and it does matter a huge amount. It's not my particular um, journalistic beat. And in my book, Breathless, I write about this, this, the science of the virus, SARS-CoV-2, its evolution, its origins and evolution. And I've I knew that there would be a hundred other books about the pandemic, and that other people would be more qualified to write about the public health crisis, to write about the medical aspects of COVID in the human body, to write about the political dimension. So I left that mostly to other people, but those are all important. And those books, some of them are on the shelf right in front of me here, and I've read them, and they're very valuable. Yes, it's important to take care of your body especially especially as you get older you know when you're young um your body is more capable of um generating a fast strong immune response when you get older when you get to be you know a, a geezer like me um it's important that your diet is sensible your weight is sensible you get some exercise all of those things you know that if you know, if you're obese and diabetic um, and 69 years old, you're in much more danger from this virus. That's, and then if you're if you're obese and diabetic and 69 and you haven't been vaccinated, you're you're at ex high risk from this virus. And, and I, if one of my family members were in that um, particular circumstance, I would be working very hard to persuade them, please. Please do something about this. Take yourself out of the bullseye of this virus. Yeah, no. 
you know, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's we've come to a point where people are like, oh, we're just treating it like the flu now. It's just part of our society. But there's there are definitely precautions you can take and measures you can take um, <clears throat> to keep yourself and your family and your loved ones healthy and the people around you, too. The people right. when you go to the grocery store, when you go to the library. Um, you know, thinking about all those other people that um, are in your community. Right. Well, David, this has been really helpful. I, you know, I wanted to make sure we kind of just answered the questions that I feel like a lot of people have been asking or been questioning themselves. And I think we've done that. Um, we do love to end every episode with a quick rapid fire Q&A for our listeners to get to know our guests better. So first thing that comes to mind, what is your favorite de-stressing practice or support tool? One of my favorite de-stressing practices is cross-country skiing. I go off to a place about 15 miles from where I live. Um, with my cross-country skis, and if it's nice and cold, all the better. And I ski uphill for an hour and a half, and then it takes me about 45 minutes to ski downhill. And I'm amid the lodgepole pine and the alpine, subalpine fir and the Douglas fir. And sometimes I only see one or two other people. And I have particular trees that I know and love on this route. I say hello to those trees. And I, uh, I, I meditate in my own particular way. Yeah, I love that. I feel like I can even just you describing that. I can smell like that fresh snow air, which just mm -hmm. does wonders. Um, okay, next question: Coffee or tea? Coffee. If if how do you only take it? If there's only tea available, I'm happy for the tea. I take it black and strong, and I try and drink only one cup a day. Love it. Um, okay, my personal favorite question. What is your favorite home-cooked meal? Ooh, favorite home-cooked meal. I'd say there's one that my wife does and one that I do. Um, my wife does uh, um, uh, a various kinds of, of, of curry, Indian, Indian mm. dishes. Um, she did one a couple of days ago with a very hot lime sauce, chicken thighs baked with a very hot sort of lime and turmeric sort of, um, mulch uh, chutney on, on top of it. Um, I like, uh, I occasionally roast a chicken, an organic chicken that we get from a, a local farm, um, roast a chicken with a lot of cracked rosemary on it um and uh and i also very much like grilled eggplant oh yeah i know you, if you, i'm in you italy i'm in italy <laughs> it's gonna be eggplant parmigiana oh that sounds so good i know and you can never go wrong with a good roast chicken but what your wife makes i'm like oh that's that's what i want for dinner tonight i'm like i would love to have that um, well, David, thank you again so much. Where can people find you, um, connect with you, if any of them, if they want to read your work, where they where's can, the best way to find that? They can I my website is very easy to find, uh, davidquaman.com. Um, my books are easy to find on Amazon. 
This is the most recent one that we were talking about. Um, and at independent bookstores, at their good independent bookstore, they can find my books. Um, my and um, and I am in the process of updating my website. I've been traveling a lot on a book tour recently, um, but now I'm refreshing the website. And uh, uh, if anybody really wants to contact me by email with a question, they can find the contact information on the website. Perfect. And your website does have such great synopsises of your books. Um, so that's a, such a great resource for people. Well, thank David, you. again, I cannot thank you enough for your time. Um, and hopefully we will connect again soon. Thank you, Kate. Pleasure to talk with you. And I hope your family members get fully well very soon. Me too. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Naturally Well by Nordic Naturals. And remember, you can catch some of our episodes of the podcast on our Naturally Well YouTube channel. For something to do in between episodes, follow me on Instagram at livewellwithkate, where I typically live on my stories, providing a variety of daily health and wellness tips. Naturally Well is hosted by myself, Kate Turner, and produced by Andrew Steven. If you have any questions, please send us an email at podcast at nordicnaturals.com, and we hope to answer your question on air. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.